Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. For the reading of God's word here out of Ephesians 2. Good morning. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We, we thank you, God, this morning. We certainly do. Especially for a reminder, the reminder from a passage like this about your grace over our lives this morning. Um, God, we, we are truly here and we truly have any and everything that we have because of your grace. So Jesus, we just pray for a greater understanding of that this morning. We invite your grace here, Lord. We know in scripture your, your grace is not just a, a theology or a concept. Your grace is power in our weaknesses. It's strength for us that's sufficient. And so we just invite your grace here today, God. We have a lot of differences. We come from a lot of different experiences. Even this week, we come into this place, God with our own stories, our own struggles, our own victories, and our own valleys of defeat. But the one thing we all have in common before you today, before you right now, God, is we're coming to you right now, all in need of your grace. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to minister grace to our hearts. And by your grace, would you speak to us this morning? God, I pray you would be strong even in my weakness now in speaking to us, God. We just invite you here, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> All righty. Well, here we are, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, almost halfway through this incredible New Testament book of the Bible, letter written by the Apostle Paul to the early church and early church in modern-day Turkey, the church at Ephesus. Paul is writing to this church under the passion and heart, with the passion and heart, to see this church learn and live from a life of faithfulness. Faithfulness in Jesus. That's kind of the big idea that Paul is, is stressing and emphasizing upon this community. He's reminding them that no matter how hard life gets and how bleak it may seem at times and how dark things are, every Christian today has a reason to rejoice because they are in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be positioned in the greatest possible scenario and position that we could ever imagine. There's no greater place to be. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I want to remind you, there's no greater place to be than in Christ. And has that saturated your soul in a while? And Paul wants Christians to get that, that to be in Christ is to be right where I need to be. And to live from that place is the source of real strength for our lives. Uh, we've entitled this series, To the Faithful Ones, because Paul is really speaking faithfulness over the lives of these believers seeking to live faithful lives. And so every week we're looking at a different aspect of that life in Christ and, and really what that entails. Um, and here, verses 8 through 10, it's kind of a part of this, this broader idea that Paul has been working out in verses 1 through 10. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 7 in Ephesians 2, and the big idea was how we have become alive in Christ. Why, why is it good news to be in Christ? Because in Jesus, you're alive. He has made us alive by his grace. He has saved us from death and brought us to life. Well, Paul is continuing to unpack that good news for those that are in Jesus. And here, verses 8 through 10, here's the big idea that Paul is accustomed to talking about. But this section, verses 8 through 10, is all about grace in Christ. 
grace in Christ. Why is it good news to be in Christ today? Here's the good news, because if you are in Christ, you are in grace. And grace is on you, and there is grace for you. And that's what Paul wants us to get. This word grace is used three times in just four verses in this section. You could say it's sort of the theme of the passage we read, but more than that, it's really like the theme of Ephesians. We talked a couple weeks ago in chapter one about the riches of grace. And it would make sense that grace is the theme of a book that Paul the Apostle wrote, because you could also say that grace was the theme of Paul's life. Grace, the grace of God, seemed to be the most preferred and prominent theme in Paul's life to where we would get that this was his passion, right? Like if you spend any time with someone, any length of time, and you, you listen to them, eventually you'll know what they're passionate about if you listen closely enough. Or if you just spend enough time, it'll just start to come out of them. You'll start to hear. That, that's the thing. You know, I hear you talk about that a lot. It's kind of clear that that's what you might care about the most. Now, with Paul, it's grace. If we're hanging out with Paul and for a couple of weeks, we're going to just get this idea that this guy, he's really passionate and he's really like jazzed about this idea of grace. Grace was everything to Paul. In fact, we see kind of a summary of this in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's Paul's like mini testimony in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says about himself, he's like, here I am as an apostle, and Paul's the guy, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, I feel like this most of the time, where he's at the, he's at the table with other Christians, and he's looking around, he's like, I get why you're here. I get why you're here. I don't get why I'm here. Like, you ever, you ever like put, or went to go get like some silver, and you had like the wrong utensil in the wrong place, you know what I'm saying? You're like, why is that fork there? You know, this is where the spoons go. That's how I feel sometimes. You ever felt that way? Or like, what about the utensil that's like a half spork fork kind of a thing, and you don't really know where to put it? And that's kind of how I feel as well. Okay, but like, Paul's kind of saying that about himself. He's looking around the table at Peter and John, and, and these are also imperfect men, but he had this feeling as he looked at his own past. He's like, I'm not looking back three years at discipleship with Jesus. I'm looking back three years at sinning against Jesus at rebelling against Jesus. Not only was I running from Jesus, I was running to stopping Jesus. Uh, Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was one of the lead persecutors of the church of God. There was literal blood on Paul's hands. I mean, talk about shame and guilt and regret. Paul looks around at the table and he's like, me of all people don't deserve to be here. I am least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. And Ephesians will say, I'm not even worthy to be called a child of God. Because, and we can all fill in our own because, right? This morning you're like, here's the reason why God won't accept my worship today. Here's the reason why I'm not as acceptable to God as the person next to me. Okay, or maybe that's like your spouse, so just think of the person behind you, you know? Um, <clears throat> that was a joke. But we all have our own because, right? This is why. This is why I fall shorter than everyone else. But we've been looking at a lot of, I don't want to say big buts, but I do at the same time. The past couple of weeks, you have these major life-saving buts that show up in the story. But by the grace of God. I mean, talk about what, what just this three letter word communicates about how Jesus changes our story. This would be the end of the story except for Jesus. Paul goes, this is how I feel about me being at this table, but by the grace of God, I love this, I am what I am. I love that Paul doesn't go, I, I don't feel worthy to be at this table, but I do do this better than Peter, right? But I, I listen, I did kill Christians, but there was no rooster, in my journey. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never denied, like, I never knew Jesus and then denied him three times. I mean, all the different things that we can do, right, where we try to justify ourselves, and we, we try to, we, we try to earn our seat at the table. Paul just goes, I'm just going to, instead of justifying myself, I'm just going to understand that I know who I am apart from Jesus. I'm just going to admit that I actually don't deserve to be at this table, 
but it's not what I deserve that brings me to this table. It's the grace of God that gives me a seat at the table. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am. Can you say that today? By the grace of God, and I mean in your heart. Are you defined today by your performance, whether good or bad, your successes or your failures, or can you say I'm here today because of Jesus? Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I love this. And his grace toward me, it wasn't wasted. It wasn't in vain. It wasn't for anything. Or rather, it wasn't for nothing. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me is what empowered my ministry. So it's no wonder that Paul is writing in just four verses in the, in the section we've been reading. Three times he writes about grace. This is the theme of Paul's life. But really the point of what we read here, what Lynn read us is that the theme of Paul's life, grace, Paul is saying, is also the theme of all life. It's the theme of your life and my life as well. He says, for by grace you have been saved. He's speaking to the church. Grace is the theme of the lives, in the lives of every person, of every Christian, of every single, even living human. The grace of God is the theme of our lives. That's what Paul is saying. It's not just his theme, it's our lives as well. Um, what, what Paul is saying here, we kind of see the emphasis. Like, if we are going to know God and we're going to walk with God, we can't do that without an understanding of grace. We can't do that without grasping in the deepest parts of us who God is in his grace. As Peter calls him in 1 Peter 5, the God of all grace. We've got to get to know the God of all grace if we're going to walk with him. Otherwise... In a lot of ways, grace is in vain, and we start living according to works, or we start making this something that God never intended it to be. And so Paul is stressing that point. Now, if we're going to understand grace, Paul talks about it here in this passage in verses 7 and verses 6. He uses it two more times. Let's begin with a definition of grace. So again, the idea of this passage is that we have grace in Christ. Um, let me give you a couple... <clears throat> Rather than start with my own attempt at a definition and then like quote to you other smarter people, let's start with the smarter people. And then we're, we're through that, we're going to end up with our own kind of like collective definition of it. Does that sound good? It'll make me feel better about myself as well, okay? Just show me some grace. All right, here we go. John MacArthur says this. Here's a couple of definitions of grace. I like this definition. Grace, what is grace? The grace of God. Uh, grace is the free and benevolent influence of a holy God operating sovereignly in the lives of undeserved sinners. Now, this is specifically about God's grace toward mankind through Jesus. Uh, the word grace in, in Greek is the word charis. In Hebrew, I don't know it by heart, but it's a beautiful Hebrew word. And the, I had it written down, but I can't find it. It's all good. It's in, it was, it's in Hebrew as well. It's, I promise you, read the Old Testament. It's in there, all right? In Hebrew, the same connotation is used of beauty and kindness is kind of the idea, like beautiful kindness. But I, but I like this explanation of it, grace kind of in action, the grace of God. It's the free and benevolent influence, that's a key word, of a holy God operating sovereignly in the lives of undeserving sinners. Here's A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer says this, just, so just a couple of guys giving their take on grace. Grace, according to A.W. Tozer, is the good pleasure of God I love this, that inclines him. It's like a disposition in God's heart before it's anything. Isn't that cool? Maybe you haven't thought about that lately. Like, what is God's default heart posture towards you in Christ? It's this posture of his heart that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. And maybe one more to kind of hold this all together. This is by the Danish philosopher Louis Burkhoff. Burkhoff says this, Grace is the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man affected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying this is the, the stuff, this is the, the truth that you and I are rooted in, that we've been saved in, that the Christian life is based in, and all Christian fruit is birthed in. The grace of God. Here's kind of a collective definition with all those put together. Here's what we would say. Uh, this is the one you want to write down. Just kidding. Okay, that was not funny. All right, it's all right. Um, Grace is the, I was saying because it's my definition versus theirs. Anyway, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Okay, the powerful, you're going to need a lot of grace today, double grace, okay? Grace is the powerful and sovereign extension. We'll say it this way. The powerful and sovereign extension of the goodness and favor of God into the lives of the unworthy and 
the undeserving. Grace is the powerful and sovereign extension. That's what Paul is talking about, defined his life, that the powerful and in God's own sovereign way, he extends the goodness of his favor into the lives of those who don't see it coming and would never deserve it in the first place. That's the big idea here. One of the main ideas of grace that we have to grasp, otherwise we're going to waste our entire life in Christ working for something that we already have. We have to grasp grace, otherwise we will work, we'll be living our whole lives working for something that Jesus has already secured. The big idea of grace is that grace is um, irregardless and it's irrespective of the worthiness of its recipient. Does that make sense? It, it has no regard for the recipient's worthiness. Grace is not selective uh, according to performance, like, okay, based on what I see there, I see the potential for grace. Or what I see over here, I'm like, mm -mm, no grace. That's not, I can't do that. All right, I didn't point at anybody directly. I'm looking at a generic area right there, okay? Um, <clears throat> that, that's the big idea of grace. Grace has no regard. It's, it's upon and it's poured. It's God's goodness and favor in the lives of the unworthy and the undeserving. There, there's no earning it. There's no achieving it. Paul says if, if our Christian life was according to works, grace would no longer be grace. Does this make sense? It, it, for grace to be grace... It has to have zero dependency on the recipient. Zero dependency on the recipient. This is what, what Paul is getting at here. Uh, the, the picture we see um, of this is, is uh, in, in creation uh, communicates the same idea. I mean, even from the very beginning, like a lot of us, we think of grace and we just think of New Testament, okay? But like understand that this reality of God's powerful and sovereign goodness extending to the lives of the undeserving, this is the theme of history, Grace is not a, a like new, new uh, uh, invented like new covenant word. It's one of the actually the, the main names that God gives Himself when He speaks to Israel. I think of Exodus 34 when God reveals His name to Moses. He says, "I'm the Lord God. I'm merciful and I'm gracious." And from the beginning of time, we see when God creates mankind, He blesses them. He creates a paradise for them to live in. He blesses them with relationship, with resource with beauty, with purpose and dignity. He puts his image on mankind. And he gives them a, an incredible life ahead of them to live together with him in paradise, carrying forth his beauty. That was an act of grace. There, there was nothing about man that, that, that mankind had to do first for God to go, okay, I'll bless you. Okay, you can be in the garden. You can enjoy my gifts. No, from the very beginning, God has operated with sovereign grace. And then you go all throughout the Old Testament. And God sovereignly, he says this, I will show grace on whomever I desire to show grace. This is the thing about God. We don't get to choose who he's gracious to. Isn't that tough? Now, that's actually good news for us, isn't it? <laughs> because somebody's thinking that about you too, aren't they? Now, this is God though. He says, I will show, I show wrath and justice upon who I show justice, and I show grace upon who I show grace. It's out of the sovereignty of his heart to, to love people, to choose people. And he does this with Israel. Israel's an expression of this. There was nothing comely about Israel that, that drew God to them and said, oh my, okay, you guys, you got my attention. Now you get my grace. There was nothing like that. He sovereignly chose them in love and in grace. And this is depicted also in Romans 9, 10, 11, talking about Israel. So his grace just comes to them. It's completely irregardless. His blessing and his favor on you, it's completely regardless of your performance. Now, what Paul is saying here at Ephesians 2 is that grace has especially arrived through the person of Jesus. That's something to lock into your heart. Like, if you walk away here today and there's a lot that was said and, you know, you were tuning in and out, like, here's the thing to tune into. Paul teaches that grace has especially arrived in the person of Jesus. This is what John says as well. John 1.16 says, Of his fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace for grace. This is communicating that there's grace on grace, stacks on stacks on stacks of grace in Jesus. It's also communicating that everything that God did in the Old Testament was one form of grace. That was a grace. But in Jesus, we have grace for grace. In Christ, we have a special new level of grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. The question to ask yourself this morning is how far has this grace reached into your own life? Whether you receive the grace of Jesus today or not, or you live your whole life apart from the grace of Jesus, here's the, here's the truth. Grace has come through Jesus. The question is, how much are we going to allow it to transform our lives? How much faith are we going to put in the grace of God? That's what Paul is really getting at. Uh, in this passage, again, these, these short verses, we've just got a couple verses here, three scriptures that Lynn read to us. Paul is talking about how grace has arrived through Jesus, but I want you to see something even more profound than that. Paul is, is talking about how grace has, it arrives in our lives in a powerful way. Grace doesn't arrive in just a merely theological way. Like, oh, I know grace now. I read a book about it. I, went to, I heard a Bible study on it. I get grace now. Paul is describing a reality about the grace of God, maybe a grace that we're foreign to, that transforms everything. Isn't this amazing? Like, in fact, when Paul talks about grace in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, where he talks about, like, I'm now in ministry, which is crazy, Paul's saying. Paul's saying the reason is because God's grace poured out abundantly upon me in Jesus. And the word, the phrase poured out abund abundantly on me in, in Jesus, in Greek, it's the idea of, like, a torrential uh, waterfall just slamming down upon its recipient. Like, you know, I've never personally gotten a fist fight with a waterfall, but... Um, Almost did one time. It like looked at me wrong. I was like, what's up, waterfall? But that, it didn't fully happen. But if it did happen, that would be a pretty, we, would, we know what would happen, okay? Like there's no fighting against it. There's no, there's no manipulation. They're, they're simply being transformed by what happens. That's the idea of grace. When grace comes into your life, it's not just a theology. It's a waterfall of God on your life. Think about this. It, it's like his goodness overflows you and it changes you. Transforms everything. That's what Paul is talking about here. And this is the New Testament idea of grace. Not just like we, we get God's favor just through Jesus without doing anything. But that favor is, Paul, remember we read that in 1 Corinthians where Paul's like, it's caused me to labor more than anyone. Did you read that? It's made me the most abundant servant of God because true grace, it works in our lives. It transforms everything about us. Paul is communicating grace as an active force, and it, it moves in these three ways. Here's what Paul says. A life that's been impacted by the waterfall of grace in Christ has experienced, first, a grace that comes to us. We'll call this salvation. It's a grace that works in us. This is called transformation. And get this, God's like, and then I bring you along with me to extend my grace and goodness to the world through a grace that moves through us, and we call this participation. There's a grace that comes to us in Jesus that we all desperately need for salvation. It works in us in transformation, and it moves through us. Let's look at each of these. First, salvation. It's the first thing that Paul says, that grace has come to us in salvation. For, by, what? Grace, you have been saved. Grace has come to you in the person of Jesus for salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul here is building upon the ideas that he started to communicate in verses 1 through 7. In verses 1 through 7, Paul is explaining our salvation story. He's explaining the story of our lives about how we, apart from Jesus, were dead in our sin, dominated by evil. We were bound by the course of this world. We were bound by a spiritual force and foe that is steering the course of this world that plays into the fallen appetites of our flesh. Sinfulness. Paul's like, that was your life apart from Jesus. Dead in that, he says, by nature, a child of the wrath of God. Separate from God. I mean, Paul says our, we were, we were, our spiritual default and our eternal state, he said, was death because of sin. And then he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, Paul says. And by grace, Paul says, you've been saved. That's what Paul is unpacking here. He's unpacking our salvation story. Um, this is important to talk about. When we talk about salvation, here's a simple synopsis of what it means to be saved. This is such a 
classic Christian question, right? Are you saved? It's like, from what? It's like, it's a good question, right? To what? It's the part that we forget. When did you get saved? That's my favorite one. When did you get saved? It's like, I don't know. Was it VBS when I was five years old and I prayed that prayer? I think it was. Okay. Not everyone has like that definitive, you know, BC, AD story, you know, my before Christ. I had a volunteer um, fill out a, a volunteer form years ago in a young adult ministry, and the question said, when were you saved? And they wrote, before the foundations of the world. <laughs> and I was like, you're hired. All right. Paul's emphasis in scripture is not so much you have to know exactly when it happened. Here's what you have to know. You need to know that it happened. Just know that it happened. You might not be able to have a spiritual birth certificate. That's okay. By the way, the way he, baptism is where we express our salvation in Jesus. It's not the 20th altar call I went forward to, okay? It's through grace. And we, we profess our salvation through a public display of baptism where we say Jesus saved me. But Paul is expressing what salvation really means. Here's, here's what must happen in your life. You must be saved from death, as we described in sin. And this is so important. You also must be saved to life. This is salvation. Salvation, a lot of times for Christians, is simply what we've been spared of. But the biblical idea of salvation is also a life that you're saved to. A, a restored life that you were created for. Does that make sense? So Paul's like, this has happened in your life by what? Grace. We were dead. Jesus made us alive. And he did so by grace. He saves us by grace. Uh, the big idea of this passage is that, and this is consistent with all of Scripture, God is the one who does the saving. God is the, we're the ones who do the sinning. He's the one who does the saving. This is echoed all throughout the scriptures. I love this, prophesied over Jesus in Matthew 1.21. You shall bring forth, he, uh, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Notice this, for he will help his people save themselves from their sins. No. He will save his people from their sins. Uh, this is what Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy 1.15. Um, remember when Paul's like, I'm the least of the apostles? Remember you said that? That was kind of in the beginning of Paul's ministry. This is the end of Paul's life. I love, we're going to see a, like Paul's understanding of himself in light of grace. Let's just say, the longer that Paul walked with Jesus, the more in need of grace he felt. Contrary to popular American sanctification theology, the more you walk with Jesus, the better you'll like what you see in the mirror. It's like, my mirror must be broken, okay? It's a circus mirror, okay? The longer Paul walked with Jesus, it wasn't that he was like, thanks for saving me, now I got this. The longer he walked with Jesus, he started by saying, um, I'm the least of the apostles. He ends his, ends his life. Then he goes to Ephesians. A couple years later, he's like, I, well, okay, I'm not just least of the apostles. I'm least of the children of God. And the Paul's like, I've got a new confession of faith at the end of my life. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. And Paul goes, of whom I am CEO. I am Captain Sinner. I am the president of the sin club, Paul is saying, Okay. Of whom I am chief. Jesus does the saving. He's the, we're the ones who need rescue. He's the rescuer. He's the one that shows up and pulls us from death and brings us into life. This is what Paul is communicating. And again, he's unpacking this, his own story. He says, for you, by Jesus, through his grace, have been saved. He saved you. He's the one who rescued you. Uh, like, so in the theology of this, this is, by the way, called the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the Christian faith, the good news of the Bible, the good news of Jesus, is that it's all done by Jesus. So what we have done is we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and there's no ability for us to work our way back to God. I saw a meme on this one time. It was like one of those classic Christian meme pages, and it was this, this um, 
this little like whaler ship um, in, in some Latin American country that was just hopelessly singing. And this guy had a Dixie cup uh, kind of a thing. And he was like trying to do, that's all he had. He was trying to use his hands and he had like a red solo cup, I think it was. And he was trying to just empty the boat. But like, it was, it was kind of like, what are, you, what are you doing? You know, like, like that's, are you thirsty? Like, why are you filling that cup up with water? Like there's no hope in emptying Water from that ship, there's no hope in saving yourself by your own effort. That's the picture of our condition apart from Jesus. It's by grace. Jesus is the one who does the saving. So he comes to earth and Jesus does the righteous life thing. Jesus does it. Paul says in Romans 5 that we're saved by his righteous life. It's what makes his death salvation as well as his life was righteous. And then he goes to the cross and Jesus gives his very life. He, he on the cross, he who knew no sin, he becomes sin for you and I. He trades places with us. That's the gift. I'll take on your sin and I'll pour upon you my righteousness. All because of grace. He does the work. And listen, Jesus is the one who does the rising. He does the living. He does the dying. He does the rising. He does the saving. It's all him. It's what he does. It's, it's been summarized this way. Maybe you've heard this. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, God's blessing, God's favor, God's salvation at the expense of Jesus. He's the one who does the work. And we come to the table, and what do we do? Well, we're saved by grace. It's all of God. Notice this, through faith. This is really important. Through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God that we receive like a gift by faith. Notice this. We're not saved by faith. We're saved through faith. We're saved by grace. You get that? We're not saved by faith. I saved myself. Why? By my faith. No, no, no. No, you're saved through faith. Uh, uh, faith is like the vessel through which grace passes into my life. Okay? Grace is what saves me. And I here's what, what faith is. I receive the gift. And this is what's, like, the main thing in a lot of ways that keeps people from the kingdom of God is not their unwillingness to do righteous works. The main thing that keeps people from the gospel is their rejection of grace. Because you don't get any glory in your salvation. You, you, you admit that you can't do it. And that's what faith is. You see, of course, the only way we could be saved is through faith, right? Because faith is the thing where it's like, it's the one we, thing that we end up doing in salvation that has nothing to do with us. The whole nature of it is like, I'm trusting in what you did, Jesus. It's all about him. I'm trusting in the cross. And the Bible teaches that through that, we are saved as we receive that good gift. Um, Romans 6.23 says it this way. The wages of sin is death. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul has to emphasize that our salvation is not of works because that, the idea of you being saved by grace through faith, fully apart from works, it goes against everything in your and my nature, which is prone to want to earn things. Are you with me? And the system of our culture that is built on merit. You know, I mean, from, from the youngest age and stages of life, you're taught that you get what you put in. And you reap what you sow. I mean, and that's, there's a biblical truth to that. But in salvation, that doesn't apply, which is so hard for us to fathom. Because you're taught like good performance gets good results, bad performance gets consequence. You know, you go to school and you learn the same thing. Okay, bad performance doesn't get A's. Take it from me, okay? All right? Um, bad works, bad performance, laziness doesn't end up at the right school that you want to go to or succeed in whatever uh, um, field that you want to thrive in. And then you get a job, okay? And you get something called a wage where you get the result of whatever you put in. Paul is using this word intentionally to contrast the word wage from another word. What's the word? It's the word gift. Gift. I don't know of an employer that's like, hey, you haven't worked in six months, but we want to give you a gift of a paycheck, okay? It's like, it's like you, have, you have the lowest GPA in your school, but we want to give you the gift of a full scholarship for no reason, no athletic, nothing. Okay? 
This is called grace. Sometimes we do this with our kids to teach them about God. You, we'll be like, you guys don't deserve, and I'm not even going to say what you deserve because i got to hold back in church right now, but like, but, but we're going to gift you guys this blessing. We're going to gift you guys. Now, it's grace. It's undeserved favor. This is our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, and Paul wants us to really get, look at this again, he really wants us to get that it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not of works. This is where the Protestant Reformation brings the Christian faith back to the scriptures. That there's no way to, you know, earn certain merits of grace. There's no way to really get into like, okay, we're all saved by grace, but how do I get like extra special favor with God? How can I be like his teacher's pet? Like, what do I got to do to really climb the ladder? And, And the scripture's like, there's one ladder, and it's a ladder that descends from heaven to earth that Jesus himself took to bring us with him to heaven. Uh, you know, when I think of the idea of, like, works, trying to justify ourselves by works, because the scripture says that through our faith in Christ, it's, it's righteousness is credited to our account. Money that we didn't work for. God's riches is, of salvation is credited to our account through Jesus' sacrifice. I think of, like, Judah, my nine-year-old, who, when he was little, he used to have um, all these, like, little plastic toys. He had, and the kids, the kids, uh, you know, have all sorts of versions of that. It's like, I remember the girls had, like, a, a little plastic Dyson vacuum, which was, like, on one sense, it's kind of cute. It's like, oh, they're cleaning. On the other sense, it's like, you never clean, okay? Like, can you actually get a real vacuum? But I remember w- whether I was working in the backyard or working on the house, like, one of the things that Judah would do anytime that I was working is he would come over with his, like, plastic hammer, his plastic screwdriver, and he would, he would want to be like, Dad. And so he'd be, like, hitting the nails. But, like... <laughs> It's the only hammer that, like, when you hit the nail, the hammer breaks. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it just deteriorates. Well, there's a sense in which that, that's a lot like what it looks like to justify yourself according to works. It's not the right tool. It, and you're just going to exhaust yourself and break down in the process. Here is where Christian life is found on the other side of giving in to grace. I have to do, I don't know about you, but like this is a daily battle for me. Anybody else just gets stuck into the loop of works? And Paul's like, we start trying to finish in the flesh what Christ has begun in the spirit. So we're just saying, God, bring us back to grace today. Whatever we've made this, we're probably tired because we've made it something other than grace. Instead of living from the joy of your salvation, we're trying to live for your approval. We're trying to live for your calling. And, and listen, grace is where it's found. And so Paul's like, know that. Now notice the second part. We got one more verse here. The second part that Paul talks about is that, is that grace not only comes to us, but the grace of God is not just something that like gets you into the door of salvation. And it's like, and it's like the grace of God lets us in, closes the door, and then leaves. Like, okay, you know, find your way around. If you need me, call me but try not to, okay? Grace is going to be over here trying to save people, okay? That's, that's not the picture of grace. Uh, whatever we've done in the American church is so foreign to the biblical idea of grace. Like, we, we tend to think, like, the gospel of grace is for non-believers. They, got, they, got, they need some grace. And the scriptures are like, uh, no, grace is for people, especially saved people who tend to make their salvation about themselves. And so Paul is explaining how grace, it, it doesn't just come to us, and get us in the door, but the grace of God, it now carries us in our lives. We don't move on from grace. Uh, Paul then describes the work of grace in us. It comes to us, but then it moves into us, and it transforms who we are. This is so beautiful. Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, the main theme that Paul is expounding on here in these three verses is that like, so in in Latin, it's soli deo gloria, which means God gets all the glory for this. He's, nobody, we don't boast. We don't get to heaven and we're like, I did it, okay? And we're like, how'd you get here? I didn't think you would make it, okay? Like, you were only at church twice a month, okay? Like, I was there three times, you know? Like, Paul, it, Paul is like, there, there's no, Paul says this, God forbid that I should boast in anything except for the cross. That's what Paul says. Where's our boasting? Jesus. We boast in him. 
So, so Paul's getting at that point by saying, we are, we're not the craftsmanship and the workmanship of ourselves. We are his workmanship. This is beautiful. Paul is, uh, is using a very unique, listen closely, Paul uses here a very unique Greek word that is so unique that he only uses, it's, it's one of those words that you'd think is so significant that Paul would use it in like every chapter of every book or at least every book of the Bible, but he uses it twice in his writings, two times, once here, once in Romans 1. He uses a unique Greek word to describe who we are in Jesus. That's what he uses through the gospel, and through grace. It's the Greek word, listen closely, poema. Can you say that? Say poema. And as you might already think, the word poema is the root of where we get our English word poem. So Paul literally says, he says that through grace, you and I who are in Jesus, we are like a masterful work of verbal artistry. That's what a poem is. And he uses a key word, workmanship. This, like, so don't think like, the fir- if you've ever written poetry before, okay? Don't think of like, if you had a class, like, don't think of your first poem ever, okay? Roses are red, violets are blue, okay? Like, don't, uh, the word that Paul uses here is you should think of Shakespeare, Walt Whitman, Kendrick Lamar for the modern poets, okay? Like, you get the idea. The word here is very intentional to describe a master at work with their creative art. A work of art is what he says is who you are in me. The, the idea here is it's the same word, again, it's used in Romans 1 to describe creation. Paul says God's invisible attributes, like there, there's, no one has an excuse to say there is no God at the end of the day. They might not have the full revelation of, of the fact that he sent his son Jesus. That's special revelation. But there's enough general revelation in the world for humans to know that they didn't put themselves here and that there's a designer and a creator. How do, and, and Paul's explaining this in Romans 1. He's like, how can we know that there was a, a creator? And Paul says, because creation, Paul says, is his poema. Like, so if you, if you go down to the beach, you ever had this happen where People will take six and maybe doesn't, you, you write something in the, in the sand, you know, maybe like a big heart with you and your lady's name in it, okay? Or your desired lady's name in it. You don't know her yet or she doesn't know you. That's weird and creepy. Don't do that. Don't go to the beach and write your name in a heart with someone you don't know, okay? Now, imagine you, you go down to the beach and someone has, with a stick, they've, they've written out Shakespearean poetry, Imagine thinking that that happened on accident with a collection of shells that washed up on the beach or a couple of those like sandpiper bird things or something, you know? Paul's like, how? that's creation. You don't stumble upon, there's no such thing as an accidental poem. When Paul uses this word poema to speak of creation, he uses it also to speak of you in Jesus. He's not like, he's like, you're not just some accident of things. You like creation are a thoughtful, beautiful work of the Father's hands. Now, this is great. He's using this about you and Jesus. It's really sweet to communicate this, especially to young people, that they're not an accident. That Psalm 139 says that God is the, is, is the master craftsman, and their lives are here. They are who they are, that you are who you are, as you are, because you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. This is the message we have for this next generation that is seeking for an identity that they already have in Christ, in God. But I love that Paul Paul doesn't say that this is about your first creation. This is amazing. Every day I'm face-to-face with the fact of who I was created to be. You ever ever face that? And the way that you know who you're created to be is how you live contrary to that. You're like, this is not who I was beautifully made to be. When I look in the mirror, I'm not just like, workmanship. Workmanship. I think, I do think like that's a piece of work. That is a piece of work. You know what I'm saying? So work is something. Paul's not saying you were God's master, beautiful masterpiece before you fell into sin. Before you doubted the promises of God. Before you were fickle in your faith. Before you sinned against him. Before you continued to return to your sin. Paul says... You are his workmanship now. 
in Christ. Who you are in him. His grace moves in you. It transforms everything about you. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I mean, to think that this is how God sees you and I in him. You might not feel like a masterpiece today. But a lot of times, what's said in the name of humility is actually an affront and an offense to the gospel. I'm just a filthy this. I'm just horribly this. I'm just, and we're so... We're so conscious of our identities apart from Jesus. I think there's a health there to know who you are apart from Jesus. But there's a dangerous place when you have no idea who you are in Jesus. And, you're in, and it's like it, there's this, this like um, self-pity kind of perspective. And what changes that, listen, is grace. <laughs> because you don't earn it. You just receive it. You go, God, I'm this in you. And so I'm your workmanship which is describing all that you are in Jesus. You're his work of art in redeeming you. You're redeemed today. You're righteous today before Jesus. You're forgiven of your sin. You're a new creation. You're transformed. When God sees you, he sees his son. You're his workmanship. It's it's speaking to the power of the gospel to not just change our past, but to change our identities here in the present Something that leads to how we live. And this is the last thing. We're this beautiful work of art in him. I love, too, that, like, when Jesus is transforming us, he doesn't just, like, see where we're at, but he sees who he's made us in him and who he's making us to be. I'm just really glad about that, that when I come before him, he doesn't just see Andrew for who he was this week. I don't want any of you to see who I was this week. Do you know what I'm saying? You ever felt that way? But when I come before Jesus, he sees me for who I am in him. And for who he's making me. He has a vision for who he's called you to be. And that's what he's leading you towards. He's not stuck on two months ago. He's like, come, let's go into who I've called you to be. You are my work of art. That's good news. Anybody else feel thankful for that this morning? Amen. Lastly, we talk about participation. This is where we close. This good news that grace moves through us. Grace comes to us in salvation. Apart from our works. We trust in Jesus. We trust in his works. That's how we're saved. He does the works. Grace comes in us and it transforms our very being and identities to where he looks on at us and he calls us a masterful work of verbal artistry. He sees who we are in him. That's something that's not an accident, but created by God himself. And then grace moves through us. This is really beautiful. You know, grace could have ended with a new identity in me, but I love like, God loves his kids so much that, he, much that he's like, I'm going to make you my children, and then I'm going to take you to work with me. Like, you know, like take your child to work day? That's every day with God. Isn't that awesome? Check us out. It says Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Notice this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is really beautiful. Um, there's obviously a theme to these verses here. Uh, the theme is grace, but also work. And so Paul's like, okay, you don't work for your salvation. Just trust in what Jesus has done. That's your salvation. You're saved by grace apart from works. Don't use plastic toys to try to get the job done. And then Paul's like, it's the work of Jesus on you and in you that's stronger than the work of sin and brokenness. He sees beauty where you see brokenness because of Jesus. That's grace. And then he's like, you're not saved by your good works, but I love this. We're saved what? for good works. This is beautiful. Okay. It's been said like grace is not opposed to works. It's opposed to earning. Does that make sense? It's opposed to earning with works. Those are called dead works. But good works is what we're saved to. And and don't think pressure. Like, oh, now I'm saved. I need to do good works. Paul's like, that's not what this is. The pressure's off in Jesus' name. Anybody thankful for that? No more pressure. Here, Jesus, in crunch time, did what was needed at just the right time. There's no more pressure for those who are in Christ. There's opportunity. This is a fun life. When you let the pressure off and you see your life in Jesus as open doors that you get to walk through, that's life. He says, we're created for good works. These are good works, I love this, that God preordains for us to walk in. Isn't that amazing? So, like, this is a restoration, a callback to the garden where God creates man and he's like, I'm not going to create earth. I'm going to do a good work. Goodness comes from a good God. 
Um, but I'm not going to create it in a complete state. I'm going to make it optimal, and then you're going to partner with me and carry its beauty forward. So that was the, the vision from the beginning is that we actually partner with God to bring his goodness to, to the people around us. Can I tell you what this is called? Grace. <laughs> this is grace. And he's like, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to send you and I'm going to use you and I'm going to put good works in your day. I'm going to put people in your day. And, and God's like, you know, maybe I could reach them on my own, but I've chosen to reach them through you. I've chosen to bring you into what I'm doing in the world. You're here to partner and participate with what I'm up to. That is where life is found. Life is found on the other side of saying, God, my life is not about what I do and asking you to bless it. Asking you to, God, can you please participate in this new endeavor of life? I got this really great business venture. Let me pitch it, pitch it to you like we're on Shark Tank and get you interested that's not where life is found, where you're striving and asking God to participate with you. Here's the Christian life. God is up to some amazing things, and he says, come be a part of what I'm doing. Come participate with me. Come see what I'm up to. And I'll tell you what, that doesn't mean you stop what you're doing, but it does mean that you approach what you're doing with fresh eyes in a fresh new way. It's amazing what will happen to your work day when it's not just a work day, but listen, it's a good work day. You with me? A good work day. You go into your day and you're like, I'm not just doing my job today. I'm not just sitting in an office chair. I'm not just helping out clients. I am a new creation in Christ. I'm his workmanship, and I've got good works before me today to walk in. And Jesus says that when we let our light so shine before men, people will see our good works, and they'll glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? Grace comes to us. Paul says grace works in us. Grace moves through us. This is what grace does. And so my question to you this morning is invite the team to close this out here is where are you today in relationship to grace? How is your, like we often say it's like, how's your relationship with God? That's a good question. Here's, here's another question. How's your relationship with grace? Because that's the answer to the first. How, how, are, how are you doing with grace today? Have you made your life in Christ about something that it's not? Has it become about your performance? Have you been living from a broken understanding of your identity? And do you need grace to pick you up and give you new perspective with where he's called you day to day? Um, whatever the, good, the, the, the conclusion of that is, as we close here, there's no band behind me, is there? That's awkward. All right. Um, Jimmy. Okay. Is Jimmy good? Is Jimmy okay? Okay. Here's the last verse. Here's the last verse. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need.